Bonjour, Andrew here, and this is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Enchanté. Fabulously Delicious is a podcast that brings you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique, and we learn about it from a special guest who's an expert on that topic. My guests are all about French food. Either they cook it, they produce it, talk, write, or photograph it. But above all, they love it. Today, we are chatting to a chef who has taken the Paris restaurant scene by storm, with not one, but two restaurants in Paris. So let's start with our chef profile of American-born Parisian chef and restaurateur, Justin Kent. Justin, I wanted to start with getting to know you as I do with all our guests on Fabulously Delicious. So you were born in Texas and grew up in Santa Fe, but your mum's actually French. So how did she get to the US? Uh, yes, my mom was a big fan of that TV show Dallas. Um, <laughs> that was a big hit here in France. And um, since a very young age, she's always had an affinity for cowboys and Indians in general. And uh, my father, who's American, uh, the two of them were living here in, uh, just outside of Paris, a town called Gaulle, uh, with my older brother and older sister. And my mother really wanted an opportunity to live in the U.S. and be near all the cowboys and um, opted to move to uh, the small town of Waxahachie, Texas, outside of Dallas. And um, I arrived a few months later, so I was born in Dallas. And then uh, I think they realized that the town was a bit too small for them in general and a little bit hard to get to maybe. My, I think my dad was still traveling back and forth between France quite a bit. Uh, so they left Texas for Los Angeles where I think it was a little bit easier to continue working. And um, we did a few years in Los Angeles before stopping in Santa Fe, which is where I spent a majority of my time growing up. So how did your mum catch her very own JR? <laughs> so um, my mom worked for French Vogue at the time and my father was a fashion photographer and they met um, they met at Place Bourbon, which happens to be down the street from where I worked when I moved to France uh, at Arpege, which was pretty, I always thought, kind of interesting. It was me walking kind of in the footsteps of my parents uh, after a number of years, so that was nice. But uh, they met there, and um, uh, basically, yeah, that's kind of where she she thought it would be nice to move to the U.S., and and give birth to me, and I so she named me Justin Robert, and that way she'd call me JR. <laughs> of course. There you go. That's hilarious. Life in the U.S., did you find that hard to assimilate into? I mean, it's a bit different to France. No, I think that she was pretty well uh, – she, she found that she fit in pretty easily over there. She was um, – when we were in Los Angeles, the time that we were there, she had a boutique – uh, selling kind of uh, home decor things, but that, you know, Navajo rugs or uh, tapestries, a lot of Native American jewelry. My parents always really enjoyed Morocco and Santa Fe in particular with some of the architecture. It is kind of similar to some of the places there. So she, I think, found it fairly easy to assimilate herself into the culture there and has had a great time doing so. She likes to stand out in a crowd and she does that. <laughs> very well your siblings are they still in the u.s or have they come back here to france uh everybody is in the u.s i have uh two sisters and a brother my older sister 
and brother are both born here. Um, and my older sister comes back fairly often because in California, she happened to meet a Frenchman. And uh, they've been married now for a number of years, but he's from Brittany. Um, he's a big reason why I actually got into cooking in the first place, which is great. Um, but yeah, so she was born in France, grew up in the U.S., uh, and and then found a Frenchman and married one. But the two of them have um, – she's an equestrian. She has a great business where she um, trains uh, show horses and things of that nature. She's worked with some – pretty amazing people in that uh, regard. And then together they bought a kind of village grocery market um, where they do a lot of kind of great, uh, they import products from France and uh, a, a, like a really nice village market is what they've kind of created there. So where's that? Uh, that's in Carmel Valley in California. Was your father a fan of France? Do you think like he didn't want to live here? No, I th- I, no, I think my dad really loved France, and I think he even still does. Uh, he was here for 25 years, and you know, he was a fashion photographer, and uh, I think really enjoyed his time here. He did pretty well for himself and uh, worked for a lot of the high-end, you know, top magazines and things. Uh, so but I, I think he really enjoyed it. I- Who cooked at home when you were growing up? Uh, my mother. You know, my mom did a lot of, my mother in particular, she, she would cook a lot of different things. She was, she's really big into gardening. And so she would, we had wherever, whichever house we were in, there was always a a garden that she tended. So we would have kind of different products from the garden. Um, When my parents were married, it was often, I ate vegetarian. I grew up as a vegetarian. Uh, And so it was a lot of vegetable-based uh, meals. Uh, once my parents split up, then uh, my mother started eating meats again. And uh, so at that point, then I started getting a little bit of that incorporated into my diet. Probably some of my biggest memories in terms of family cooking were my grandmother. Was, was she was from Lille, is that right? Yes, uh, so my, my mom is from Lille originally. My grandmother was from Alsace, uh, but lived in Lille. And, um, and, and then we had a uh, family summer homes in a town called Le Touquet in the north. And there uh, they had a fairly good-sized country home. with We had one big, long table and were quite numerous. My mom was one of five. And uh, between cousins and things like that, we were about, I think, 17 or 18 cousins. And um, and so we would my grandmother would cook these large meals over the summertime when I was in France and everybody. I just had these fond memories of getting together along the giant farm table and kind of eating all together and the typical of the French uh, thing. I don't know if it's all French, but especially in the north, we would start eating quite late even you know when i was young was uh, we we wouldn't get down to sit at the table until about 10 p.m or so uh and so they were always but very you know lively and uh, i always loved it i've always had very fond memories of that 
I always found it funny because then afterwards, uh, you know, not, we wouldn't all sleep at this house. Uh, but for, I mean, they would end up kind of had some aunts and uncles that had other, you know, family homes nearby would end up having to go back to their places. And I was like, wow, man, you guys are out late. And then when I started to get of an age where I could go out, it was like, wow, we're not getting out until one o'clock in the morning or something. <laughs> it's going to be a late night. When did you first come to France? Uh, I started uh, from a really young age. I would come over, uh, you know, with my mother when she would come back to visit family and things like that. Um, when I was about eight years old, up until I was maybe late teens, my parents would sit me on a plane and ship me over by myself to France. And my grand, my grandfather would pick me up at the airport. Um, after a few years, my younger sister started coming with me. Uh, so it'd be the two of us, but, uh, yeah. So about eight years old on, I'd spend about a month or two in France every year in the North. Sure. And it was, I mean, it was a really, uh, when I was younger, it was the kind of thing where, you know, I'd call my parents and cry. I miss you guys. Um, Come and get me. And uh, but after family showed up and things like that, um, it would it, it would really be a, a great time. And when the cousins were there in particular, what were a lot of us? It's a it's a beach town. Um, we would spend every day at the beach and then have these late dinners around family, and it was really great. It was definitely you know I was still memories that I cherish. And a, a really, it was a strong reason of why I wanted to move to France in the first place uh, was, you know, to kind of share that experience with my wife and now my daughter and uh, and to, you know, just really kind of get close to my family here again because uh, they're really great. Yeah, but it's interesting then that your the the siblings that were born here don't seem to have that they didn't have that connection of coming here, but you obviously have. So uh, you must have you must have a bit of a French gene in you that uh, has pulled you here. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I you know, I as I was getting into the culinary field, uh, I really wanted to take advantage. I have dual citizenship through my mom. And so I wanted to make sure that, you know, I wanted to have the opportunity to, uh, utilize it. And so my wife and I, after we got married, had discussed moving out here for a year, I could work, you know, hopefully in a top tiered restaurant. And then we were going to go back to the States. She had, you know, a job there that was willing to kind of hold her position for a while. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I tell people all the time at work that I moved out here for a year, 11 years ago. Growing up then, did you want to be a chef um, or is that what you wanted, like you studied to do or did you start doing think about doing something else? Yeah, no, I definitely, um, growing up when I was in my teens, I had worked like a, as a busboy and things like that, food runner, uh, you know, during school and stuff to to make some extra money. Um, but I never intended to work in restaurants long-term by any stretch. I, uh, when I went to, for studies, I ended up studying film and digital media at a time uh, in California and really wanted to work in the film industry, uh, in San, in New Mexico in particular, where I grew up, they have, uh, quite a large 
the industry has gotten quite large out there uh, in particular. And at the time, it was kind of just getting going. There was more and more movies that were shooting out there as they had offered tax incentives to the film industry to to shoot. Now they have big studios and things like that. But uh, at the time, I wanted to do some work out there. It was still kind of few and far between. So I still had to work restaurant jobs to you know earn some some money on the side and um in the end i had another opportunity presented itself to do some educational sales so i moved to colorado and did that for a number of years and um that's where i met my wife uh i had kind of always really enjoyed cooking and cooking for myself we would do cooking classes together a lot and when i left the educational sales job i said you know what am i going to do i'd like to find you know I was in a position where I could do something that was I was a little bit more passionate about, and uh, you know I didn't want to kind of go back to Santa Fe. It's a, uh, the film industry is probably pretty cool out there, but Santa Fe is still a small town, and uh, that's not exactly where I wanted to be. I had enjoyed living in Denver, Colorado at the time, which is much bigger, and uh, so. I knew a lot of people that were kind of cooks and chefs at different restaurants. And my brother-in-law was a chef. Well, I wanted to ask you about him. So you've mentioned him before. So he influenced you becoming a chef. Uh, what about him and his cooking was so influential to you? Um, it was so Jerome, my brother-in-law was really, um, I think he was my first kind of understanding of, gastronomy rather than just kind of restaurant cooking um he was really doing like cool stuff that i hadn't ever experienced before you know i was still pretty young at the time uh, maybe like 18 or 19 years old and um at the t- my sister and him had just kind of got together i think he had just moved in with us i was living with my sister at the time and my mom was coming out to visit for to meet him for the first time. And he had cooked this meal of this duck with a fig sauce that I'll still remember to this day. And when I tasted that, I said, Oh my gosh, I need to learn how to do stuff like this. This is really cool. And, um, I had done some work with him at a Rolet Chateau, uh, called Stone Pine in Carmel Valley. He was the chef there. We would, he'd cater a lot of weddings and I kind of help out with that stuff. And, so I got to experience a lot more of what he was doing. He was taking me to some friends' places that were open in some really top-notch restaurants, and uh, it was uh, it was a big influence on what ended up helping me make the decision. Uh, and then that combined with the ability or the chance to work at some top-notch places myself uh, kind of cemented that for me. I said, "All right, well, I'm going to give this a go." Lovers of French food, wait no more, for I've got the French food cooking experience for you. Come join me in Montmorillon for one or three day cooking experiences that take in French markets as well as visits to local food producers and lots of cooking and eating along the way. With, of course, the occasional glass of wine, but above all, good company and lots of fun. Book your class with me via andrewpryorfabulously.com, but hurry as places are filling up fast. 
Justin, you mentioned your lovely wife, Lindsay, before. So how did you meet? And you've mentioned that she had this desire to come to France. Uh, how did this come about? Well, um, it was it was really great. We used to spend both of us independently a lot of time at the mountains of Colorado. Uh, and it happened to be my birthday uh, at the time. And we were uh, in Vail, Colorado. Uh, doing ap- having après ski with some friends of mine and she was doing après ski with some friends of hers and um, some of her friends knew some of my friends and so we all became friends and then from there kind of led into the next thing and I had expressed interest in moving to France uh, as we had got more serious especially at the time where we were planning to get married uh, you know she thought we kind of both agreed that it would be fun to do for at least a little bit um, and uh, so again the idea was to come for a year and then go back to the states and while we were here uh with probably around six months into our stay uh lindsay started a photography business that started to uh, really gain some traction she was doing pretty well with it and it was growing and growing um we we saw that there was a lot of potential and what it could do uh become and so, uh, as I had been working at Arpege since we moved here, and it's you know one of the top restaurants in France, it wasn't impossible for me to find work in another kitchen once I left Arpege, and we had taken the opportunity to see where her photography would go, and that kind of continues to grow and grow, and then further opportunities presented themselves. So one year became two years, and then five years, and now here we are. So there's uh, something in that that uh, your mum wanted to meet an American cowboy and and live in America, and she met an American photographer and moved to America, and you wanted to live in France and met a photographer and moved to France. Yeah, I mean, she she became a photographer after we moved here. But oh, okay, all right. Of, well, that's okay. A lot of photographers in my family, my. My dad, my stepfather, my aunt is a photographer, and and now my wife. One of the first places you worked uh, here in um, France was the three-star Michelin restaurant, um, Alain Passard's. uh, Now, I can't pronounce it. How do I pronounce it? Lapège. Lapège. It's my appalling um, uh, French accent. But I do know the restaurant. It is really quite amazing. Had you worked at similar places in the US before throwing yourself into the deep end by working there? I mean, it's three Michelin-starred restaurants. Hello. I, uh, you know, as much as I appreciate uh, Patrick giving me the opportunity to work with him, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, three Michelin-starred uh, kitchen like that was, um, I had no experience working in anything similar to that. And, uh, that was definitely, uh, I, I don't want to call it culture shock, but it was a work shock for, for sure. It was really intense. Um, you know, long days, but, um, a lot of up and down stairs. I think one of the things that was kind of, uh, maybe frustrating to me the most was, uh, I was one of the older people working there at the time, and this was still 11 years ago. And, uh, you know, these young kind of 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids are not even kids. These folks between 18 and 21 years old are just running circles around me as I'm trying to work as fast as I can to get, get my work done. Uh, and then it was, but it was a really, really cool place to work. I learned an absolute ton there. 
For those that don't know um, what it's about, what, what what is the restaurant about? Because it has a sort of a specific, uh, well, I want to say mission or something along those lines. Yeah. What, um, what, how would you describe the restaurant? Uh, so back in 2001 uh, and prior to 2001, Alan Pizarro was really well known as a rotisserie chef. He was really known for kind of grilling meats, his, his meat cookery. Um and he was looking for kind of further inspiration, I believe, and kind of looking to challenge himself and opted to take uh, meat off of his menu and really apply himself to uh, vegetables. And then uh, from the beginning of the process to the end, uh, has some farm, like a couple plots of farmland, two or three, I think, spaces now uh of farmland throughout France, um, in the north, and in other parts of near Paris. So they grow uh, the fruits and vegetables that was used at the that's used at the restaurant in these areas, and then bring them in every day. And we the cooking was basically every day the menu would change. So we would work with what came in that day and kind of structure the menu around that. And it was, we, we didn't work with recipes really. Um, it was kind of technique and what was really kind of probably the best learning experience of my career. Cause when you know a technique, you know, a thousand recipes, whereas if you know just one recipe, that's all you got. So it was really about those fundamentals. And so that was a really good school for me in, in terms of learning. And uh, the people I worked with there were, I mean, have gone on to also be pretty amazing chefs in their own right. And were all pretty incredible people. So it was a, that was a cool experience. For sure. What was your favorite dish that you remember preparing there? Although that might be a bit hard if, the, if things changed so often. But do you have something that sticks in your mind? Uh, so uh, one dish in particular that I used to do a lot was the chauffeur de oeuf, the, the famous arpege egg. Um, that was a dish that I used to have to make a lot. And um, I got to go to an event in 2012 in Singapore uh, where he had – he talked about kind of the inspiration of that dish in particular. That was really eye-opening to me, um, and it gave me a, a really newfound respect for that dish. It really is something that's incredible. You have the change of textures, um, the change of temperature, sweet and savory. Uh, that re- that little egg really packs a punch in terms of having just about everything you could imagine uh, for a dish. It's really incredible. And, uh, it's definitely earned its place as one of the best things I've ever eaten. Have you eaten there? Have you eaten a full meal there? I have. Yeah. I've actually eaten there a few times. Um, oh, wow. What was that? What's that experience like? Amazing. Amazing. Uh, lunch is much, I've never gone for dinner, but, uh, lunch is, you know, much more affordable. Uh, I mean, you still got a price tag associated, but lunch at those kind of joints are much easier to deal with uh, financially. Um, but yeah, no, um, I ate there once while I was working there and that was pretty incredible. I actually got to take my mom and my grandmother. Uh, so that was a real fun and memorable experience. Um, and then I have done, I have eaten there 
I tried to maybe go about once a year if I've had the occasion for lunch to see kind of what what they're doing that's different from when I was there and uh, and things like that. You know, I found it to be a really inspiring place to go and eat at, and I really uh, enjoy. It. I granted I haven't been for now quite a few. I've been probably for three years or so since uh, we were all shut down, and now we've been reopened. I've got my own projects that kind of take up a large part of my time, but um, yeah, no. So it was a really great experience and. Uh, you know, I've been also fortunate enough to do, uh, a few of the, uh, Michelin star spots, three Michelin starred even. And, um, uh, it definitely for me is one of those places, uh, that ranks up there with some of the top ones that I've had. There's so much work involved in being a three-star Michelin chef. So personally, is that something that you like to aspire to because i've heard from some chefs say that no they just want to focus on say the food or just their dream um and i i assume that to be a three michelin star chef that in itself has to be the dream i would say is that right is that something you want i would think so no i've never been one to um there was i really just wanted to be able to cook whatever i wanted if and have the ability to do it so for me it was a lot about the learning experience and learning the techniques and things um having a michelin starred place i think requires a lot of work and uh to be honest with you i don't know that i would have the wherewithal to to do it it seems like it takes a lot more i i feel like i already spend a lot of time and energy managing what i've got if i were to have to you know figure out how to raise the costs raise the techniques of the menu get more people and train them up and things like that as a that's a that seems like a circus that i don't want to be a part of you've also worked at other fabulous paris restaurants most notably to me is uh Verju. it's actually the restaurant i'm still desperate to go to i lived around the corner from it for four years and every time i wanted to go it was booked out but objectively as a now cafe and restaurant owner what do you love about the paris restaurant scene oh there's a lot of really inventive uh chefs out here i mean it's, it is really cool and when i get the chance to go out i always love that i'm like still dazzled by what people are doing like oh my god this is one of the great things about having worked at arpege was i think he's a master in beauty of simplicity you know it's a really a small a few amount of ingredients on a plate that really sing and there's a lot of these restaurants that i feel like are doing such a great job of not kind of making the food too crazy it's like they're really working on these cool dishes that it's like there's a few little things that just pop here and there and cool textures and it's just i don't know there's a lot of really inventive people out here so cool because such a melting pot of different cultures that in santa fe new mexico i can tell you never got the chance to experience so here it's super cool i I loved working at verju um, we worked with a huge international kind of group. I mean, huge, I, I wasn't, you know, we weren't actually that numerous There were five of us in the kitchen. Um, but uh, there were people from kind of all over. So that's, you get to learn so much from all of these different kind of aspects of the world that you, I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And I, I love what Brain and Laura built over at Verjou and they got a really cool Australian chef working for them. Mm, now. Yeah, they do. Yes he does stuff that's so playful and incredible. I, I mean, 
I just love looking at what they're creating over there. It's really awesome. And and they've moved in since the time I was there. They've moved out now. They're growing a lot of their own fruits and vegetables on their farm. Um, So it's really cool what they managed to do. And I always find that stuff to be inspiring for sure. You're listening to Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. If you're enjoying this episode, then please share it around with your friends, colleagues, and family. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, be it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Oh, and leave a review, a five-star one, that would be great, especially because that will help me get more fabulous guests for you to listen to and learn more about from. Does that make sense? Learn more about from. I think so. Anyway, don't forget, share me around with your friends and family. I love to be shared around. Let's get back to more Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Justin, you and Lindsay, your wife, um, opened your cafe, your first cafe, uh, Zia. Is that the correct name and pronunciation? Yeah. yeah, it's in the 7th, the Rondesmond. You opened this just four weeks after the birth of your daughter. How on earth did you open a restaurant whilst having a baby? Well, actually, I shouldn't. I should be asking Lindsay this question. <laughs> yeah, I would say that the question should be more. Should, I um, I had a lot to learn in terms of what to do when it came to being a restaurant owner. I really tried to go with a super small place to avoid a financial too much of a financial risk. Anyway, um, you know, we signed the lease. I, we were in negotiations for the space as we were. As we, at the time we had found out that my wife was pregnant, that Lindsay was pregnant. And um, so we said, all right, well, we're kind of committed. I needed work. I was doing some catering stuff where I was kind of working about six months out of the year and wanted something to do in the winter months, you know, a place that I could kind of work year round with still the ability to do some of the catering work that was making, helping me make my living at the time. And so that was really tough luckily enough door to door my commute was about 30 seconds so that helped and uh my wife being pregnant at the time was also a large um it was a big reason why i ended up opening more of a brunch restaurant than a lunch and dinner place i wanted a space where i could be home in the evening um and you know uh, kind of be with my family um with that, uh, it ended up being a lar- larger of a workload at, from the administrative side, as well as you know some of my own restaurant duties that I didn't get home as early as I would have liked, and it, you know I had a lot of anxiety, a stress of trying to figure out what it meant to be a business owner in France and hiring people, and these bills are coming at you from every which way. Like, what, what is this thing for now? Oh my gosh! All right. Here we go. How am I going to pay that? And uh, so, anyways, as I was building that up, um, that you know, things kind of started to make more and more sense. But uh, yeah, no, it was definitely tough opening up just after the birth of my daughter. Yes, because then you would have had a lot of stress working out how you're going to be a father as well, and you know, oh, there's nappies to change and there's uh, feedings and all of these sorts of things that go on. Not that I know, but I, I find it hard enough to do anything with two golden retrievers. So I don't know how you cope with a, with an actual baby, uh, an actual child. You know, at the same time, it was what was great was you know at the time uh, I was kind of figuring out. It's I wish that I knew now what I knew then because it would have been a lot easier for sure. Um, 
you know, we are much busier now than we were at the time. But when I opened the restaurant, I was by myself in the kitchen. So I was only cook, dishwasher, prep cook. Uh, I was doing service. Uh, so I did that all plus the admin work. And then I had two people in the front that were working with me. Um, but yeah, as things got busier, I started bringing on more and more staff and kind of doing that. But, um, my daughter took her first steps at the restaurant and, you know, so there was a lot of great memories that were created there, regardless of how stressful it was. (laughs) If that wasn't enough, you both then decided to open a restaurant as well. What is it and where is it? So about 200 meters from Zia and, um, Zia, Zia started, I wanted to do something that were, you know, that would kind of harbor back to my roots. Uh, Zia is the name of the symbol on the New Mexico state flag. Uh, and so I incorporated that into the, into the restaurant. We do breakfast burritos that are kind of typical of where I grew up with chili sauce, with the chili that's grown from there. I quickly realized that Zia was very small. We have 18 seats and it's just absolutely tiny. Um, I started kind of looking around and seeing what kind of spaces were available for rent nearby. I wanted to stay in the area of the Nicole Militaire. And um, anyway, after a few years, uh, this one place that had been closed for quite a while had become available. So we opted to kind of throw our hat in the ring for for the renting of that space and originally i said well you know let's maybe do a zia 2.0 something that's bigger things like that but i had been missing this kind of creativity outlet of doing more kind of dinner oriented food uh more traditional I wanted to work with French products, but incorporate my own point of view on it. Uh, And I wanted to do it in a way that wasn't necessarily brunch focused. I wanted to kind of focus on something else, work with some of these great French wines that we can get in and things like that. Uh, So we opted to open this restaurant and we called it Milagro. Milagro means miracle in Spanish. So having got the lease, kind of the, the route that we took, we thought was a bit of a miracle. But there are these little religious votives, not little, there are these religious votives that come from northern Mexico. Uh, They come in different shapes and sizes and things like that. If you break your arm, maybe you can get a a little votive that's in the shape of an arm and you nail it to your door and it kind of helps you with your recovery, that kind of thing. I grew up, my mother had these things nailed on the door to her bedroom and I thought the word rolled rolled off of the mouth easily enough. Uh, Milagro sounded nice. And it also wasn't a French name that was going to mean that I was only pigeonholed into doing French food. Um, I learned pretty quickly with Zia that it was hard to kind of branch out and do other things. Um, at one point, we offered these pancakes at Zia, these Dutch baby pancakes that we do there. And at one point, I kind of wanted to make that only a weekend thing. But then people would come in on the weekdays. They'd see photos online and say, oh, I want this pic- this pancake. I only do that on the weekends and then they would leave. So I said, oh, man, I'm just walking money, watching money walk out the door. I got bills to pay. So I said, all right, we're going to do pancakes all week. Uh, And then so I I really wanted a place where I could focus on brunch food and kind of do what was working, which was Zia there. And then build up another thing where I kind of had this other creative outlet that I could take advantage of with a little bit more tools at my disposal, a little more space. So I wasn't so constricted of having to do it all 
by myself. Um, so this new space came about from that. And so Milagro is kind of really focusing on seasonal products, uh, French products. We change the menu pretty regularly. Um, and a lot of it is just based on inspiration. I like to call it international bistronomy, um, in a, in a polished casual atmosphere. Um, I'm not looking for stars or anything. I just want to showcase some really nice technique that I've learned throughout my career. Same thing with the other chefs I got working with me. They've all worked at different places that have, you know, uh, that are high end. And so the idea is to kind of incorporate everybody's point of view a little bit, inspiration from everywhere, working with French products. So I've got good friends, uh, Will and Di, they have a hardware society uh, up in Montmartre there. But they also have one, well, they have two in Melbourne and, and one in uh, Barcelona as well, running four restaurants. I mean, how do you run two restaurants at the same time, uh, let alone four? I mean, I don't know how they do it, but how do you do that? Do. I mean, I have a hard time doing it and my restaurants are 200 metres from each other. <laughs> I can't even... I mean, I would love to figure out how to do it. I'm going to have to go meet them and get some tips on how they manage to do four different places in different countries. That's insane. Yeah. I think that I think that the tip that they would say, and I, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I will say that I think that it's something that I know that they highly regard, and that is to have a good team. Yeah. And they do. They really they really put a lot of emphasis into their team and, and the people that work for them. Well, I mean, I know that I followed their – Paris location for a while now, and they do some super cool stuff. I have, I don't make it out of the seventh arrondissement very often, so I haven't had a chance to go yet. But um, well, that's a good. That leads me to my next question because my next question was going to be, uh, you know, that you've got both your restaurants in the seventh arrondissement. So if people are going to come to Paris, first of all, what do you love about the seventh that you live there and you open your two restaurants about there? And also, what's what should people do if they if they're coming to the restaurants before or after uh, in the seventh? What is there in the seventh? Because I know it well, but what, as a local, what should they do? Uh, well, so we're uh, the reason I opened up in the seventh is we were living here at the time because my wife's photography business was starting to get busier and busier, and we were living on the other side of Paris, and it took a long time for her to kind of come and go from this area uh, multiple times in the day. So we said, all right, well, why don't we move closer to where she's working? Um, and at the, also the same time, uh, this business that we had started doing together was catering picnics in the park and the show Mars in front of the Eiffel tower was a easy place to offer that. So we were setting up these big elaborate picnic baskets with pillows and candles and things like that. And, uh, so anyway, that's, that was getting pretty popular. Right. So, so anyway, afterwards we opened the restaurant. So if they're going to come and eat at the restaurant, uh, Zia, we don't take reservations. So depending if you're coming on a weekend, one thing you should do is consider waiting in the line because it gets pretty busy. Uh, and then afterwards, um, you know, obviously walk around and see the sites. I think, uh, you got the Eiffel tower, you have Ecole Militaire, there's the Invalides. You're not too far from Musée Rodin, which is a really wonderful museum beautiful little garden area. Um, if you're into shopping, you can definitely start making your way towards the Bon Marché, which is one of the coolest department stores, I think, in Paris. Uh, Conran Shop is an awesome shop for just looking around, too. I love going in there. Um, and then you're not too far from Saint-Germain. There's 
just keep strolling. I mean, there's a lot. You have Pont Alexandre in the summertime when it's really lovely out. There's like all of those um, kind of bar. You can get like a glass of rosé and stuff like that and hang out along the Seine. There's cool places around there. Um, I, that's generally what we do. I mean, my my day consists of not really visiting the seventh too much anymore, though. I you know take my daughter to school and then I'm in work. Coming to France soon for a holiday or a weekend away? Or do you have plans or dreaming of it, but you just don't know what to do? You're overwhelmed with all the options. I mean, it is the most visited place in the world. Been so many times before that you want a new take on France? Well, I can help you out with that. Jump onto my website, andrewpryorfabulously.com and check out my itinerary service. You can book in a 45-minute Zoom call with me directly. That's right, with me directly. And then once we've discussed all the things that you want to do, how long are you going to come for, etc., etc., then I'll create a fabulous itinerary personalised just for you. I'll help you with places to go, things to do, hidden secrets, tips that a local would know, restaurants and food recommendations, as well as help with any bookings, etc. And recommendations for the fabulous people that have been on my podcast. Some of them are tours or cooking classes themselves. So I'll be able to recommend them as well. So what are you waiting for? Go to andrewpryorfabulously.com itinerary services and book in your call with me now. Before we finish up, I wanted to get back to that time at, uh, of your time with working uh, at Le Page. Le Page? Le Page, I said it right that time. <laughs> I did, yeah, that's did good. I? I did? Ah, oh, good. Um, what's the most important thing that you think that you've learned from your time there that you've implemented in your restaurants now? Ooh, dial it back for sure. Uh, like I learned, you know, I was in, before working at Le Page, I think there was uh, this thing with maybe food that was also my understanding was like all right i gotta like have 15 different techniques and how can i incorporate all of this stuff onto one plate how can i do all of these different kind of crazy things and uh, and get them all on one thing uh at arpege my biggest takeaway and has really been to dial it back and whenever i work on a plate I try and think about temperature, texture, um, uh, and then kind of having a, a, a f- reference point. I think about, do I have a protein? Do I have, uh, wh- you know, what kind of garnish do I have? Do I have maybe a puree and a roast vegetable component, um, a sauce, uh, and then maybe where's the texture coming from? Working at Arpege, I realized that I didn't necessarily have to think about uh, so large for one dish. I can really focus on having a few key ingredients and how can I make those things, how can I get out of those what I need to to make the dish really work? Because otherwise you just pile it on. I found that like, you know, oh, I have this crunchy thing, but with all of the other things going on, you couldn't taste it. So rather than trying to make like 15 different flavors on a plate, it's, let's focus on like a few things and do them really beautifully. And then that kind of moves forward. And, and, and I really loved the idea of simplicity and he's absolutely masterful at that. He really just, it's incredible to see what he manages to do with just so few things. And then you taste it and you say, wow, that is like a revelation. What French ingredients do you love working with? Uh, well, I really, I'm a big fan of duck. 
I love mm. duck. Wow, um, see. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, a lamb too. The, the lamb is really great. I have a, we have a family tradition in the, at this ha- family home in the north of kind of roasting uh, lamb legs in the fireplace. Um, so that, you know, I really kind of love that. Um, in the, the quality of the produce that we tend to get here too, though, is also really great. Um, I love Galaguet strawberries in the summertime when they're fully ripe and uh, fraise de bois. Um, it, it, the mushrooms when different mushroom seasons, you know, is also something that I just absolutely love. Porcinis or seps anyway, uh, uh, are really great. So, uh, those uh, there's it's not so much one particular thing that I'm like wow I love that you know I mean I'll eat a great roast chicken any day of the week but I, I what I love about being here is I don't have to pick one thing that I you know I that I have such an array of great stuff that's available to me uh, and, and that's one of the things that really kept me here has all the family been to your cafes and restaurants uh, my dad was uh, last time my dad was in France. My dad's getting older. He's it's a long way for him to travel, but he came around the time that I opened the first cafe, and uh, that was actually a really cool experience. He would come in with his uh, computer um, and kind of pop up on one of the tables and be on his computer all day, and, uh, and and he hadn't been out here for a long time, and so he was getting in touch with a lot of people that were that he knew from, you know, the years he was living out here. And, um, that was really actually a, a fun experience for me because a lot of the, his old friends were coming by and t- giving me stories and little anecdotes about him, uh, you know, at a time in his life before I was around. So that was really cool. Um, my mom comes out a few times a year. She's got a house in the North that, um, she stays at and she's still got her siblings out here. So she still has family and she'll, she'll be out here to maybe two or three times a year. And when she does, she mostly is in the North. Um, but when she's here in Paris, she'll usually stop by for dinner at Milagro or we'll go and get coffee and some pancakes or coffee and toast at, uh, at Zia. Um, so she, she, she comes by pretty regularly. My older sister, Jessica and, uh, Jerome, my brother-in-law, because his family is out here. They come out maybe once a year or so with their kids. Um, my brother was out here in July for the first time since I opened the restaurant. So he got to visit them. And then, uh, my younger sister has, she hasn't come out yet. So she's never been to either of them, but she sends, she also works out in restaurants in California. And, um, so she sent quite a few people my way. So maybe she's living vicariously through them. What do your parents think of you and living your dream here? Uh, I think that they're pretty happy for me. I'd like to think so anyway. My mom, you know, again, I get to see her pretty often and with FaceTime and things like that, you know, people aren't as far away as you might think. I don't get to maybe give them as many physical hugs as I might have uh, being back in the U.S., but um, I make my way back, you know, maybe once or twice a year and, you know, the stays sometimes can be a little bit longer, which is great. Uh, and so it's it's nice to be able to, you know, see them kind of take part in that. And my mom has, you know, been a big influence in particular and helped me with the decor of Milagro and, and even, uh, Zia, I got a huge Buffalo skull in the, on hanging on the wall at Zia. She sent me that from the U S I got, um, 
Finally, the question that I ask everybody that has been on Fabulously Delicious, and that is, what to you is the most fabulous thing about living in France? The most fabulous thing about living in France? You know, one of the things I would say, I like to, for me, it's a lot of family. It's for me, probably the most fab, fabulous thing about living here. I get to not just be with my wife and my daughter, um, you know, the rest of my family I get to see pretty often and I'm really fortunate to have a great family and so that is definitely a huge thing that I only wish that I got to take advantage of more often uh, you know, a lot of work and a lot of hours at the restaurants means that I don't get to see them as often as I'd like but they're all close by and so when I do see them it's a real treat and that's probably one of the things I love most about living here and then Paris in particular is you know I there's a lot to see and do so there's not I'm not really lacking for much and um, feel pretty well taken care of here that you know uh, France has treated me really well yeah no it certainly has and it sounds like you've got uh, uh, your fabulous family that you've uh, obviously created uh, with your wife and daughter but uh, your all your relatives and everybody that's here, but also the family that you've created with the restaurant as well. It sounds so, you know, you've got a, uh, a, a wonderful and fabulous situation there. So I am envious and have to come up and uh, get some brunch and, uh, and then go to the restaurant as well. Can you tell us where can people find more about uh, the restaurants? Yeah, so uh, the website for the restaurants, we have uh, ziaparis.com, milagroparis.com. You can read up about them there. And Instagram, uh, not for nothing, I don't really post on Instagram very often. Social media is not my strongest forte, but... I will put all of those details on the show notes for this episode. Justin Kent, thank you for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. I really appreciate it, Andrew. Thanks. No, merci beaucoup. <laughs> yeah. What a fabulous person is Justin Kent. I just love hearing passion stories like this. Born in the US to a French mother and his siblings born in France, but he is now the one living in France and made a wonderful life in Paris restaurant scene as well. I hope that on your next visit to Paris that you can go to visit one of his restaurants or both of them. That's it for another fab episode of Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. See you next week. Merci beaucoup and bon app. Hello and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo. And for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.